welcome. I'm uh, delighted to talk with you today. I'm glad the room is full because that means uh, a lot of people have compassion for this particular group of students and we all need a little bit of help around this. And when I was preparing this presentation, I thought, I've got about five hours of material. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so I've been working at Calvin now. This is my 13th year. And uh, in that time, I've seen a lot of, um, a lot of change in this particular topic, a lot of uh, students whose needs are changing around this, um, both students who may identify as straight and those who may identify as sexual minorities are just talking about this in lots of different ways. And so um, my hope is that it's as helpful as possible to you. We're going to hit the ground running. We're going to go kind of fast. But if there's a, something that you're like, please, please, please talk more about that, I'd be happy to. Could someone check, is there something in this room afterwards? Because I'm happy to stay and... There is something? All right, I'll be in the hall. Um, so if anybody needs to continue the conversation around something, really, I'm, I'm yours until uh, I have one o'clock. So that's, I'm serious. I will serve you as long as I am able. All right, for today, we're going to talk about core beliefs, the things that I'm coming into the room with so you know my perspective, understanding the terms, what all students need as far as this conversation goes, what LGBTQ plus students need, and then what your community may need, all right? And um, we're just going to keep going and move along, all right? So core beliefs, sex is designed by God for marriage between a man and a woman. Sexual orientation, who we are attracted to, not chosen. Sexual behavior is chosen. Um, I tell my students, I have much, as you do, much more challenge with our heterosexual students around the sexual behaviors they choose than our LGBTQ plus students and the sexual behaviors they choose. We are called to love and care for LGBTQ plus students. Those are the core beliefs that we're coming into the room with, many of us. We choose to be curious rather than judgmental. Shout out to Ted Lasso slash Walt Whitman. Yes, Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso, by the way. All right, it's a little salty. So if you haven't watched Ted Lasso and you're like, well, Pastor Mary recommended it, just know the language is a little salty. We can be dear friends with people we disagree with about everything, you know, whether the Red Sox or the Houston Astros should win, whatever it is. We can be dear friends with people we disagree with. People who love Jesus, love scripture, love gay people, and love the church can be found across the spectrum of opinion on this topic. So just because someone disagrees with you doesn't mean that they love something less than you do. All of us are called the holy sexuality as a way to show our love for Jesus, not for some future spouse. All right? Um, holy sexuality is about discipleship. It's not about marriage. We have, to, we have to separate those things out. How I live in my body as a sexual being is an expression of my gratitude to the God who has saved me. It has very little to do with if or when or whether I get married. All right? So we need to reframe that whole conversation. Again, that was a whole, like, that's like an hour presentation. <laughs> why this matters. This is why you're in the room. LGBTQ plus youths are four times more likely to seriously consider suicide, to make a plan for suicide, and to attempt suicide compared with their peers. The Trevor Project found that 19% of LGBTQ youth ages 13 to 18, so your demographic, reported attempting suicide in the past year. Lesbians, gays who reported that religion was important to them were 38% more likely to have recent suicidal thoughts. All right? Those are the numbers. That's why we do this. That's why we're talking about this. When I have uh, someone who pushes back on the work that we do at Calvin for our LGBTQ plus students, my, uh, uh, eloquently, I'll, I'll get to it, but I'll say, look, I'm trying to save people's lives here. I'm trying to keep students alive. That's what I'm trying to do. So um, this is why. For so many of our students, they cannot figure out how their Christian faith and their sexual identity go together. And that's where we can help them, right? That's where we can walk with them. Cultural norms are shifting. This is a quote from parents.com, just kind of a generic website. Biological sex is not the same as gender, and gender is not limited to only two options, right? This is becoming like the common default assumption of much of our culture and we need to have our students ready to move into this culture, equipped to engage in the world that they're actually living in, not in the world we may like them to live. They begin questioning sexuality and gender very early. Eight to 10, 
is the number that they start to become aware that there are these cultural conversations happening around gender, and they start to wonder, like, well, if I'm not attracted to this, or if I'm a tomboy, where does that put me? And they start to just observe, and they start to think the questions, even if they're not actually voicing them to anyone. They begin to think about these things younger and younger, as I'm guessing you are observing in your classrooms. A Gallup poll found that 5.6% of adults identify, oh, typo, as LGBT, but 16.67, one out of six, Generation Z, that's our students, are usually, I identify as LGBTQ+. All right, 16% of our students are thinking that their identity is different than the identity that maybe people think that they have. And their questions are often about gender as opposed to sexuality. I had a friend come to me and say his son came to him and said, Dad, I think I'm about 65% asexual and 35% non-binary. And my friend looked at him and said, um, okay, what, <laughs> where's this coming from? And he's got a friend who's transitioning from female to male, and it just stirred up a lot in him about where do I fall? Where is my category? And thankfully, my friend was able to move toward him in a gracious space and have a really good conversation about um, gender and things. But this is how they're talking about it, and they're talking about it with each other. And so we need to get into the conversation, all right? They are talking. Uh, when he asked, when my friend asked him, where did you start finding these terms? Like, how have you thought about this? He said, I, I went to online, as they all do, gender wiki, all right? So uh, he went to gender wiki and like looked at all the terms and kind of figured out which applied to him. So there's this seeking out of like, where do I fall? What's my category? How do I identify? And there's anxiety around that. Um, for many of them, it's like, what if I'm not? What if I do? What, if, what does this mean? Should I change my name? And they just go running right down the path, okay? This is where we have a dangerous amount of information available online. <laughs> all right, terms to know. This is just so we're all talking about the same thing. Orientation is the awareness that I am attracted to people of the same or opposite sex. So orientation is just who you're attracted to. It has to do with sexual orientation, sexual attraction, all right? Behavior, acting on feelings of attraction. Physical intimacy, courtship, marriage. Now when we talk about gay, either at Calvin or in lots of other contexts, in the church maybe, we mean someone who's attracted to people of the same sex, all right? That's what we're talking about. Orientation is not simple. So you can be gay and Christian. Let's just be really clear about that. These are things that are not mutually exclusive. Um, we have a number, we have many international students at Calvin. Some of them come from countries where homosexuality is illegal. And we have a completely different conversation with them because they're trying to figure out, like, I don't even get how you can have this conversation on your campus. They're just a really different context. Right? And then we have the occasional student from one of those countries who is trying to figure out their sexuality, knowing if they ever were to come out, it would have significant implications on whether they could go back to their country, whether their family would accept them, what would happen to them. So, all right, these are related to sexuality, sexual attraction. Lesbian, woman who's attracted to other women. Some non-binary people uh, identify that way too. Gay, typically used to describe a man who's attracted to another man. It also can be an umbrella term for um, all same-sex or sexual minority people. Bisexual is a person attracted to either sex. In some definitions, you'll, say, you'll see people say they're attracted to any sex, just saying whatever is out there. All right. So these are related to who am I attracted to. These are the words. Then there are the words related to gender identity. That is, who do I identify as? Transgender, as a person who I, whose gender identity does not align with the gender they were assigned at birth. Ex this person experiences gender dysphoria. This means that they have a lot of pain. Uh, some of my students have had this since they, could, since they were conscious, since they were aware of it. They knew that their physical expression of who they were did not align with who they were inside. Now, there's lots of research that needs to be done on this, but one of the interesting theories that some people are wondering about are the number of toxins in our environment. 
We've seen this, some of your biology people, we've seen this already in fish and frogs, that there's more intersex, there's more fluidity around sex and sexual identification within the species. And people are wondering, is something happening in utero that is changing the way that our bodies and our minds, our brains, are aligned in utero? All right? That's, that's speculation at that point. There's just the, the research is in its very initial stages. But the reason we may be seeing more of our students who are really struggling with this is not just because they think gender is now an option for them, it's because they actually have pain. And that's what I try, that's the conversation I try to move toward. When someone comes to me, it's like, tell me about this pain in your life. Tell me how long it's been there. Tell me what this has meant for you. Because gender dysphoria is painful, all right? And we need to acknowledge that first and move toward the pain first. Um, some may transition in appearance. You know, they may uh, become a little more feminine, a little more masculine in their appearance. Um, they may get to the point where they take hormones. They may get to the point where they have surgery down the line, right? That's trans folks. Queer is an umbrella term used to describe someone in the community. Used with discretion, I find that people my age and older, so in the 50 and older category, they still find this highly offensive. My younger students don't find it offensive at all. It all depends on what you were called when you were in middle school. <laughs> the plus category, people who do not easily identify in one of the above categories. So when you see it abridged, like LGBTQ+, we're talking again about non-binary people. So these are people who may not identify easily as male or female. They may say, I'm non-binary, I don't really identify as a man or a woman. They may use the pronouns they, them, um, which causes all of us English people to just kind of like grit our teeth because it's just so hard. Um, I have a student that every time I see this person, I have to like will myself to like get them like, you know, because everything in me wants to use a singular pronoun. Um, and so that's, that, and I, I'm very apologetic when I get it wrong. I'm like, sorry. I'm old, my brain is wired hard into good English. This is what happens. <laughs> um, intersex, someone who was born in differences, with differences in their sex traits and their reproductive anatomy. Uh, about one in 1,500 births are intersex. So you have children, you have students, some of us may have been born with both male and female genitalia, male and female sex traits. Sometimes it's a chromosomal uh, difference. And often we don't know about this because the parents, when the child is born, have a consultation with a physician and kind of make a call. What do you want to do here? Do you want to, you know, want us, we could do a surgery right now, you could raise a child as a girl, you could have a surgery right now, you could raise a child as a boy. Tell me what you're thinking. Here's what we're noticing. And when all the pressure is, you've gone to the hospital, everybody knows you're in labor, everyone's waiting to hear, uh, there's a lot of pressure on that. And the reason some people say, like, why hasn't the church talked about intersex? Because the church is slow, and it takes time, and it's not like when you're in the hospital, you're going to call your pastor and say, I would like to write an overture uh, to classes, and then move on to synod about what am I supposed to do right now for my child? Like, that's not, not going to happen. So parents often are surprised by the decision that they have to make. It comes up quickly, um, and... You know, physicians want to, like, let's gear this thing. So more parents are getting to the point of saying we can just wait and see, um, which is confusing to everybody else around that family. Like, what do we, how do we refer to your child? But um, more people are just saying, let's just see how this child develops and, and what, uh, what, a, what draws them, which gender identity they want to have. So intersex is a really interesting um, an area of <clears throat> science and theological and community response. Asexual, someone who does not feel strong sexual attraction to anyone. And um, when I talk to high school students, they'll, someone will say, well, I don't really like anyone right now. They'll be like, that's fine. That makes your life easy. <laughs> don't worry about it. It's fine. And that's a lot of our work is to be able to say, it's typical. You're fine. You're not abnormal. This is, you're fine. Like, um, I've had friends who have children who are wondering about gender and they don't see themselves like in the super masculine camp or the super feminine camp. And then the parent will say, well, 
Either I or your mother is in either one of those camps, you know? Um, your mom hates wedding showers and bridal showers and pink things, and she's a scientist, right? <laughs> I love music and art, and it, it's just, so we have to kind of say there is, uh, masculinity and femininity are not categories that are just like, well, if I'm not, if I don't see myself this way, if I'm not six foot two, broad-shouldered, I can't really identify as a man. It's like, no, that's not the way it works. So even the assumptions that we had kind of growing up, like a guy was a guy and a girl was a girl, they're really looking like, am I a guy? Am I a girl? They're actually questioning the things that, so if they don't feel a strong sexual attraction to anyone, that also makes them think like, am I normal? Is this a thing? So this is where we come along. And then you might hear the terms gender fluid or gender queer or agender. Again, this is all gender wiki stuff. So they may just come up with a term, and you may think, I've never heard that before. And so you can say to them, that's a really interesting term. I've not heard that before. Could you tell me what it means to you? Just see what they say, all right? Um, and they may say, well, I found it on a website. That's probably what they'll say. And this is what it meant to me, and this is why I'm using it now. All students, all right, all of our students, whatever their age, <coughs> They need a theological framework. Our bodies matter to God. Again, this is an hour-long presentation. Um, but our bodies matter to God, and that needs to be stressed. Because of the incarnation and the resurrection, we know that God is invested in human bodies. Bodies matter to God. It's not just optional. Sex isn't something he doesn't care about. He cares deeply about it. Look at how many times in Scripture you have... People who are trying to conceive and God moves toward it and, you know, all the begat and begat and begat and begat. Like, sex is big in the Bible. <laughs> all right? So bodies matter to God. He took on our flesh and our flesh still matters. When we die, we will be raised. All right? These bodies of ours, thanks be to God, will be restored and resurrected and we will no longer have pulled hamstrings. Thanks be to God. These, this is what we're moving toward. And so the theological framework around our bodies and around our sexuality is not a human-to-human -human relationship. Like, my sexual orientation is defined by this, or my identity is defined by how you see me or how I see myself. It's under the framework of how God has wired us to be for him and for each other. Some people use the phrase sexual stewardship or being a good sexual citizen. These are ways in which we use our bodies for the glory of God. Our bodies matter to God. Uh, we're not Gnostics. We don't think that the body is nothing and we just ascend into heaven and woo! That's not, we're not, not into ghosts. That's not it. Your body will be resurrected. Okay, so let's just lean into some uh, scriptural truths on that. We engage in these conversations because of our faith. Because no one is saying our bodies matter to God. Because no one is saying sexuality is an expression of discipleship. We need to say those things. We need to move toward the conversation because of our faith. Because we believe in a God who redeems. Because we believe in a God who loves. Because we believe in a God who creates people in his image and has saved them through Jesus Christ and empowered them through the Holy Spirit, we need to be in this conversation. We can't avoid it, much as we would like to. We have to move toward it. We have to. They're engaging it. Your students are having the conversations. They're watching the shows. All right? They can find all the information. They can figure it out. If we're not in the conversation, there is a huge gap in their knowledge. We need to explicitly name what students are talking about and do so in a courageous and faith-filled way. So how interesting would it be if you just had a conversation with your eighth graders and say, what are you guys thinking about gender? Like, are you talking about that? How is that coming up? What do you think about that? And obviously in a small group, because no one's going to talk if they're all in the class together, but you'll figure that out. How are they talking about it? Move toward the conversation. Use truthful, unapologetic language. If you don't know, say you don't know. That's a word I don't know. Tell me about that. You know, I'm still learning about this. Uh, this is new to me. I'm, I'm curious. I want to know more. Put yourself in the posture of humility and not being the person who's always in authority. You teach me. Tell me what you're learning about this. 
Tell me what would be helpful. Use the word, words the you, world uses. So if you say, hey, I heard this word genderqueer. Here's what I think it means. Is that accurate? Do you think that? Or agender. And, and believe me, there are a lot of words on gender wiki that you're going to read and go, huh. I didn't, huh, huh. So you've got to move toward the conversation using the words that the use, world uses. So when you're having sex ed, say penis and vagina. You can do it. Like, it's okay. You're not saying anything they haven't heard before on, you know, whatever they're binging on Netflix. It's fine, right? And again, we need to claim these words. These words matter to us because our bodies, what? Matter to God. So your breasts and your ovaries and your testes matter to God. All right, let's just name it and claim it. Engage with differing perspectives in a non-judgmental way. You're going to have, you probably don't know this, so I'm just going to be clear, you're going to have people who have really different opinions. <laughs> so, so you're going to have to engage them in really non-judgmental ways. So, okay, you know, Mackenzie over here is like folding her arms and giving you the side eye and not taking in any of this. And, you know, <clears throat> Robert over here is like, here for it. He is loving the conversation. Finally, somebody's talking about it. His sister's gay, married to a woman. He's never known how to talk about that. But suddenly, you have them both in the class, and you have to say, let's talk about this together. How do we love each other well? How can we be curious rather than judgmental? Mackenzie, are you curious about anything? Robert, are you curious about anything? How can we move toward this together? Help them to ask good questions, right? They don't, they don't, they don't know. They just take what the website gives them and they think that is all truth. So where does that website come from? Who's writing on it? Do you, do you think they're valid? Are there any Christians on that site? Are there Christian gender sites? Could we find those together? How do you think Christians are writing about this? How do you think genderqueer Christians are finding a spot? Let's look at that. Where would that be? All right. All students need sex ed, please, I beg of you at different age levels. They are talking about this at younger and younger ages. They are very aware of sex. They're finding porn at younger and younger ages. Um, if, if you have a 12-year-old who has not yet seen porn, it's a rare thing. Because someone has sent them that. They've stumbled on it. Um, you know how easy it is. You're doing a search and suddenly you're like, hey, whoa, what is this? Right? Just links to different things. And the pornography industry is actually a much more uh, significant problem in our lives than the LGBTQ question. Okay? 85% of our students are accessing and or addicted to porn. By the time they get to me, some of them have been addicted for 10 years. So that's a conversation we need to have. So sex ed at young levels starts talking about pornography and saying to parents, this is the filter you need to set up in your home. This is how you need to talk about this with your child. This is why you need to have all access to their phone at any time. People who send their child to their room with their phones at night, it's like sending your child to bed with a Playboy and a pack of cigarettes. It's that addictive, and frankly, the images are like Playboy they're bored with. Okay, The stuff that they can find online is insane. And they're finding it younger. They're talking about it younger. I've had students who say to me, I started watching porn so I could figure out what sex was like. Well, that's a gap we can fill. Okay? That's a gap we can fill. We can talk about sex. What if the Christian schools were known like, you go there, those students, man, they know about sex. They know that their bodies matter to God. They know how sex is designed to function. They don't look at porn because they get all the answers from their teachers. How's that for a thing? <laughs> right? Tell your board, here's our goal for this year. <laughs> Any board members in the house? Any board members in the room? No? <laughs> Name the typical, avoid the use of the word normal. Name the typical questions that come as we grow up. Who am I attracted to? Like suddenly this is a, like a, an area for exploration. 
right? It used to be like sixth, seventh grade, you'd be like, oh, I think that's a cute boy. <laughs> right? Well, now they're like in fourth grade, and they're like, well, I'm really, really liking my friend, and she's a girl, so what does that mean? I had a student who came to me, college age, and said to me, I'm trying to figure out if I'm like lesbian or bisexual. And I said, okay, tell me, your, tell me what you're thinking. And she said, I'm best friends, and I love her. And we have this intimacy and this vulnerability, and we just get each other, and I love her. So I'm trying to figure out, like, does that make me a lesbian? And I said, do you want to make out with her? And she said, oh, no. Then I said, probably not. <laughs> probably not. But do you see how she got to be 20 years old? And she was like, I'm not quite sure because I have these feelings. And what is this? So they need to figure out, like, attraction, intimacy, beautiful friendship versus I want to make out with somebody. All right? They have to, like, you have to help them with that. Um, I have wonderful, beautiful female friendships that, have I ever wanted to make out with them? No. Right? Also, I have a lot of male friendships that I've never wanted to make out with. <laughs> right? Can I get a witness? So, <laughs> so we need to talk about the fact that a friendship doesn't necessarily mean this, and dating doesn't necessarily mean that, but we need to help them have language for this because they're just floundering. What if I'm not attracted to anyone right now? This is a question I ask. So you just say, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Or ask a better question. Tell me why that's a concern for you. <laughs> Tell me where that's coming from you. And they may, well, every, it feels like every, this is what I get all the time. It feels like everybody's dating and I'm not dating anybody. <laughs> um, so then I'll do the like, who in your friend group is dating? How many friends do you hang out with and who is dating? I have like eight people who's dating. Two. <laughs> so, you know, you also have to like clarify and name the longing. What's the longing here? Why, why is this important to you? Why does this matter to you? What if I like things usually associated with the opposite sex? And this is something that we need to say out loud because they won't say it out loud. They're trying to figure out like, I really like the musical. I really had fun performing. I don't know what that means. It means you liked the musical. <laughs> and, yay! Right? So, but they, they begin to think, and this is where, as you know, their peers will be happy to fill in the gap. They will be happy to name them as such things. Right? And so we need to be able to say, early on, when they're young, hey, there are boys who like these kinds of things, and there are girls who like these kinds of things, and that's fine. God wired us all to like different things. This is why Paul says in the body of Christ, if you've got a gift, you've got to use it. He doesn't say women have these gifts, men have these gifts. He says if y'all got a gift, you've got to use your gift. Boosh. Right? That's Paul. <laughs> all right. You have to encourage them to avoid labeling themselves. Again, this gender wiki thing. Like, it is insane what they are doing. The conversations they are having. Like, well, I think I'm this today, and I think I'm that tomorrow, and... Um, we've got to move into that conversation. We've got to help them with that. Help them understand gender roles, what we do or what people think we should do versus gender identities, who we are. Right? So bring in a firefighter who happens to be female. Just like these kinds of things. Like, oh, okay, I get this now. All right? Are we good so far? Great. Our LGBTQ students. They need many, many things, again. The big thing is acknowledgement. In some of your communities, they are not mentioned. They are not named. They don't think it's safe. So what if in a chapel prayer you prayed about pornography and anybody who is uh, struggling because of sexual, struggling with sexual orientation, struggling with something. My, if anybody uses Seeking God's Face, the, a little devotional book, this morning's prayer included a line um, praying for those who struggle because of their sexuality. And uh, what would happen if you name that in the beginning of a class or in a chapel and just say, or in your congregation? Just name it, right? We know that there are gay people here. We're going to say it out loud. There are gay people here. We love them. Go crazy. But they need to know that. They need to know that people know that they're there. 
Because if they think I'm the only one, I'm not saying anything. The closeting and the distancing is what leads to isolation, is what leads to self-harm, which what leads to suicide. Because they don't think they matter, they don't think anybody knows, they don't know who they can talk to, and that's what moves them away from community. So simply by saying in a class, for our lesbian and gay friends, for our people who fall into the sexual minority category, let's think about them today. Right? There may be some, there may be people who snicker, of course. But there is going to be somebody in that class who's like, oh, I may be able to talk to her because she just named, named this. And it may be months later. But you've opened a door to say, I'm open to this conversation. They need people. Educated, non-judgmental counselors and teachers who hold their stories in confidence. How you hold the stories of other students teaches them how you will hold their story. So if their friend goes to you and to talk about that he's having sex with his girlfriend and he feels really bad about it but he doesn't know how to stop and that teacher tells somebody and that person tells somebody and that comes around and this student finds out, they will never tell you anything. Now most of you know that, but I just want to name it. Like you've got to hold their stories in confidence. Um, if they're not going to hurt themselves or others, now y'all states may have different rules, but you've got to hold that story with them. And you have to name it. I'll say to students, whatever you say in my office stays right here unless you want me to get you help or talk to someone else. Everything you say, I'll say that to faculty and staff too. Everything you say is right here. It's right here. Right? They need peer support groups. Now if you were to start a peer support group at your school, that may be a whole thing. All right? So maybe you do it in concert with other schools. Maybe you partner with a local public schools. Maybe you partner with a local counseling center. Maybe you partner with a church. And you just let people know, hey, there's this support group. And even better if it's meeting online. If there's a way that they can easily converse with people, they're already doing this outside of the faith context, many of them. They're finding the Facebook chat group. They're finding the Instagram folks. They're finding the people that they follow. They're figuring it out. Again, we need to bring faith into the conversation. So what does it look like if you say to a local pastor, a local church, would you be willing to host this group? We have no idea who would come. And you set up things like <clears throat> we have a, a group called Without Shame in our counseling center. And everybody knows if you go to that group, that's like no one acknowledges you outside of the group. You're just... That's it. It's safe. Um, <clears throat> if you name these things, uh, I'm going to have a ch group chat online, and you have to have the login code, and you have to email me if you want the login code, and I'll give it to you, or you know, stop by. Like, figure out ways for them to access people who can help them. Our, all of our peer support groups, uh, whatever form they take, are led by staff, overseen by staff, come along, staff come alongside. So we don't have, um, like, just a student groups that's off just doing things, all right? Um, we try to be really intentional and say, this matters to Calvin. You matter to Calvin. We're going to put staff investment into this conversation. Uh, we're not going to let you just figure this out on your own. Um, we're going to care for you, all right? <clears throat> so many of the students, um, less so now, even 13 years later than when I started, but so many of them have a lot of anxiety about their parents, about grandparents, about extended family. Um, I don't know how this is going to go. For, for some people, I was the first person they ever told. Um, and, you know, we walked with a peer support group about how do you tell your parents? What does that look like? And I always have to say to them, you've been thinking about this for years. Your parents haven't thought about this for five minutes. Most of the time. Some parents have an idea, but most of the time, you, you, you're, this feels like a relief to you. You're finally saying this, and your parents are, you feel like, okay, whew, that's done. And your parents are like, wait, what? I'm sorry, what? And for parents, there's often an, uh, a layer of grief that comes up. Even if they're like super open and affirming, they had imagined their student's life being in a particular way. They had imagined their child's life unfolding in a particular way, 
and now it will unfold differently, and they need to process that. And that's how you can come alongside parents. Because parents, and some of them are like, I don't know what I did wrong, nothing. I don't know why my kid chose this, they didn't. Right, they, they need that. Uh, again, that's a whole presentation, how do you care for the parents? Um, but for a lot of them, they just need time. And I say to my students, your parents' first response is probably not their best response. They'll get better. Their first response may be, are you sure? I don't think so, right? That's not really helpful. Um, so their first response may not be their best response. So they need some peers who can say, this is what it was like when I came out to my parents. They're often really worried about grandparents, by the way. I find grandparents are much more chill, <laughs> just generally speaking, right? But grandparents are more chill about everything, right, which is generally... Um, which is why they send children back to us all sugared up and sleep deprived. Um, and, and grandparents, by and large, are like, I just love you. I love you. I get you're living in a I get it. I, not always, but often. Students are surprised by how their grandparents respond. They need counselors and pastors available virtually, via chat, in person. So if you could have a resource person, that your school can turn to, a local counselor, someone who's even able to do virtual teletherapy. There's so much more of that within the last couple of years. And you say, this is our person. This is who we turn to. So that if parents ask or the board asks, what do you do? You say, we've got this person, and this is their faith roots, and this is who the, how they do it, and this is what they do. Um, that also kind of differentiates a bit between your role as a teacher and that person's role as counselor. So some of your counselors may want to get some um, specialized education around this to say, this is going to be my role. Um, and there are a lot, there are, there's a growing number of resources available for that. They need resources, and they need to access them in a safe, anonymous way. Um, so if you've got posters in the bathroom that have QR codes on them, for example, very safe, very anonymous, the same thing can go for sexual assault, domestic violence, abuse in the home, if they've got a way to read a poster on the back of a bathroom door and take a picture of the QR code that will help them and give them information, every bathroom stall should have posters on it about something. All right? And you could do this by the month, you know, like this month it's about this and whatever. But that's a really easy way for students to get information in a confidential way. A business card sized resource list, something they could just pull off a desk, just grab. Um, some of you maybe uh, in this area know about Safe Haven Ministries. It's a domestic violence response place. Well, they have lots of pull-off cards, and they've got things that when you're in the bathroom, it's just really easy to grab. So um, links on your school website may be a whole kettle of fish that you're like, yeah, we're not going there. Um, but you have to have some way for your students to get faith-based resources about gender and sex. You have to have that somehow because all they're getting online, or the most of what they're getting online, has no understanding of faith uh, or the Christian context. What you can say when someone comes to you. Now remember, if someone's actually coming to you to have a conversation about sexuality or gender, um, they're taking a huge risk, most likely. They're trusting you with something big. So the first thing you say is, thank you for trusting me with this part of your story. Uh, this is what you say. Thank you. I'm so glad you trusted me. You honor me by telling me this. And I always, I'll often say to students too, like, this doesn't have to be our only conversation about it. Like, I'll say to a junior, like, we have another two years together. We're going to keep talking about this. You've got access to me. We can make this happen. Um, thank you for trusting me with this part of your story. All right? I find questions work really well. Who has helped you with this so far? This means, this is also a way to say, who else knows? Who knows you're talking about this? Um, have you just gotten it off a website? Do your teammates know? I've had many, many, many students whose friends know for two years before their parents know. Or their siblings know before the parents know. Um, and so the parents feel like everybody knows except me. Like, well, yeah, maybe. Um, but they go to the, their peers first, all right? So 
who has helped you with this so far gives you a lay of the land. They may say, I've not talked to anybody about this. You're the first person I've talked to. Oh, my parents know, my pastors know, that would be amazing, right? But this gives you a lay of the land, like how well supported is this student? How has this impacted, and this is maybe later conversations, ongoing conversations, how has this impacted your relationship with God, with your parents, with your friends, with the church? How are you thinking about this? Because it does have implications for all of those relationships. And um, I could do a whole thing on the church. But uh, people are really scared that they're going to have to lose a lot if they name these things about themselves. That this will cost them something. And so to be able to just ask the question, it's not has this impacted your relationship, it's how has this impacted your relationship. Uh, which is, by the way, a question I asked during premarital counseling. I'll say, I won't ask, has porn impacted your understanding of sexuality. I'll say, how has porn impacted your understanding of sexuality and romantic and sexual relationships? How has this impacted your relationship? What questions do you have for me? Right? What do you have for me? Um, will you go with me to my parents? Yes, I'm happy to do that. I've had conversations with parents. Yep. Um, will you pray with me? Yes, happy to do that. Will you be with me once a week for the next 16 weeks? Yes, I will do that. Right? What questions do you have for me? I've gotten, do you think I'm going to hell? Do you think I'm going to hell? Nope. Because answering that yes doesn't help. <laughs> All right? Spoiler alert, that doesn't help. They already think they are. They already think they're isolated. They already think they are. If they have a religious figure who says, well, yeah, you know, right? They're gone. You say, um, if someone says, do you think I'm going to hell for this? Say, I think that the love of Jesus and the atonement of Jesus covers everything. So let's set that question aside because I don't get to say who goes to heaven or hell. I've got a list of people. But God doesn't listen to me. You've got to just kind of name it and say that um, this does not define who you are in your relationship with God. There's much more to it than that. How can I be helpful to you? Right? How can I be helpful to you? Um, what do you need right now? Um, maybe they say, like, I can't go to class next period. I, can I just sit here and cry? Yes. Yes, you can. And here's chocolate and tissues. Right? It's a pastoral care. Basically, I'm up office. I've got a Bible and tissues and chocolate. It covers a lot. All right. What your communities need. They need information before implementation. All right? If you're going to start something, if you're going to go somewhere, put your directional on before you make the turn. Okay? They need to be able to know where you're going. Um, again, you may find in your community there's a variety of opinion on this. And so if you give them a heads up and say, hey, we understand that the suicide risk for some of our students is very high. And you don't even tell them which students they are. We understand that some, for our, some of our students, the suicide risk is very high. We're going to move toward that. How do you think about that? Well, yes, please. We all want that. All right. The group we're talking about are our sexual minority students. So we're going to be proactive in offering some specific care for them. All right? <coughs> then people are like, oh, okay. Because you frame it as like, we want these children to live and thrive and flourish as kingdom citizens. That's what we're going for here. Tell them why this matters. All right? The stats on self-harm and suicide. And the requirement of scripture and the church to care for the least of these. Right? We don't get to opt out of this. Caring for the poor, the marginalized, those on the, who feel like they're isolated, who are away from the church, who feel like the religious institutions have turned their back on them, that's where we go. That's where we're invited to go as followers of Jesus. Okay? And he hung out with people, and he did not demand that before he hung out with them that they would change their lives. He would hang out with them first. Okay? Some changed their lives. Some of them didn't. 
He just loved them. Tell them what you will do. Here's what we're doing. We're, we're going to start with the fourth graders, and we're going to develop a sex ed curriculum that starts with them, and then every two years, we're just going to keep growing the sex ed curriculum. So we're piloting it. That's always a good word. We're piloting it with the fourth graders, and we're going to keep doing it all the way up until they graduate. Um, we're going to provide a support group in partnership with this Christian Counseling Center for parents of students who are asking these questions, and we're going to provide a support group for students. And this will be of no cost to any student or parent. We're partnering with them in this. The principles that we're using in this, we're, we have a high view of scripture, which is why we're doing this. We think that our bodies matter to God because of the incarnation and the resurrection. We're going to do the best practices from Christian leaders. We're not trying to do this on our own. We're drawing from the best stuff out there. They need to know, you want people prepared for life after school and outside of school. If they've got a part-time job, they're having the conversation. They're probably working with someone of a different sexual orientation. They're moving into these communities and conversations all the time. So the idea that we can just have our little children in a bubble and they won't ever have these conversations is just false. If they have a phone, they have access to this information. All right? And the idea that we're somehow protecting them from what? Like, we're supposed to be the ones who move toward hard things as followers of Jesus. We're supposed to be the ones who move toward these hard conversations because we have this whole idea that conflict is a way to move toward discipleship. What? So, so the whole idea that we want our students ready, we want them to have these conversations, we want them to know how to deal with pornography, we want them ready for this. We have no interest in protecting your child, we have interest in preparing your child. We can talk about hard things in kind ways. Social media has schooled us in meanness. And people talk about hard things in mean ways. What would it look like if we said, no, you want to have a hard conversation? You should hang out with Christians. Because Christians are great at being kind and compassionate and curious. They lean in toward each other. They don't judge. When I'm on an airplane, I hope I sit next to Christians. <laughs> do we have some growing to do? <laughs> We need to know why we believe what we believe. You can't, and I say this to students all the time, well, I think your marriage is fine. Okay, great, tell me why. Where does that come from in you? Uh, I, I don't know. Okay, let's, let's look into it. Let's figure it out. Well, I think that gay people just choose it. Okay, great, tell me why. Where does that come from? Learn about it. Well, I think that the Bible's really unclear. Okay, tell me why. Let's go toward that question. Let's have that conversation. Um, I think my dad would kick me out of the house if I came out. Okay, tell me why. What, is that, what have you heard him say? And believe me, students are listening so closely to what their parents say. I had a student, his mom was watching Will and Grace, the reboot, and his dad came in and said, why are you watching that fag show? My student is having a significant mental health crisis as a late college student because he doesn't know what to do and he's the only Christian in his family. So here he is, a person of faith who happens to be gay, living in a very conservative family who are not believers. Knowing that if he comes out, he could lose it all. Is it a wonder that his grades are suffering? We need to know why we believe what we believe. And we need to pay attention to the language that we use because the little ears are always listening. All right, some resources, and then we have a few minutes for questions. Mark Yarhaus is a leading Christian thinker on this. I think he takes um, a really wise approach. He just moved uh, to Wheaton. He was down in Virginia before. He has a Sexual and Gender Identity Institute. And if you go to their website, they have a ton of resources. Um, the three books that he has written that you may find helpful, particularly for our group and our conversation, 
Understanding Sexual Identity, a resource for youth ministry. How many of you read this? Okay. Understanding Gender Dysphoria, Navigating Transgender Issues in a Changing Culture. Has anybody read this? Well done. You get all the points. <laughs> Emerging Gender Identities, Understanding the Diverse Experience of Today's Youth. Anybody? Yeah, you get points. So we've got some educating to do right here. When I say they needed educated counselors and teachers, let's do it. What if the first thing you did was say, we're going to have a reading group on one of these books because we don't know what we're talking about. Um, and we need to be on the same page as faculty uh, before we try to do anything else. We need to know what our children are talking about. The Colossian Forum. Does anybody know about the Colossian Forum? Excellent. The Colossian Forum is an agency that moves toward hard conversations in churches. They have curriculum for politics, if anybody needs that. Um, they have curriculum for sexuality, and they have curriculum around origins, evolution, and creation. So ColossianForum.org, they have the curriculum all set. All you have to do is buy it and do it. And they intentionally want people in the groups that don't always agree. They have done this in such a thoughtful way. At Calvin right now, we're partnering with them so that we can have better conversations, and we're working with them to reframe their curriculum for higher education contexts so that hopefully it can eventually go out and maybe eventually get to our students and maybe eventually get to the point where it can be applied to Christian schools. You can use this already, though, even if you're not in a church. If you as a faculty said, we're going to do these eight sessions? We're going to do these sessions, 90 minutes, as our faculty meetings. We're going to commit. We're just going to do this. Or we're going to do this over the summer. Or we're not over the summer. <laughs> we're, we're going to do this, though. We're going to lean into the Colossian Forum. We're going to look at their materials. And, and we're going to learn how to talk well and kindly about hard things. I love their, their uh, tagline. Conflicts aren't the disruption you're dreading. They're the discipleship opportunity you're waiting for. Help your church community engage them faithfully. Right? Colossian form. Great, great stuff. All right. We have a few minutes. You probably don't have any questions. <laughs> yes? Um, I think a lot of people I see with phones and whatnot, have these slides been put at the CEA website? They haven't, but I could. That, that would be helpful. I will do that. Can yeah. I steal a comment as well? I can go back a slide. I know how to do that, maybe. There we go. Caleb? A lot of the suggestions that you've mentioned I can see being really problematic at the secondary level, particularly because of parents. And I know that you talked about informing and all that kind of stuff. But even just using the words the world uses is seen as affirming all of the anything that anyone ever does, yep. along with starting groups or anything like that. Any advice on how to sort of calm the... Because everything you've said has been very like biblically based and Christianity based and all that, obviously. <laughs> but like, th there's an assumption there that if you're using the world word the world uses, you must be approaching from their perspective. How do we reassure them so that those can actually happen? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question, parents. Am I right? Um, <laughs> I think if you're seriously thinking about moving toward this conversation as a school, your first thing is to pray. And I don't just say that glibly, like, well, she's a pastor, she's required to say that. Because the spiritual warfare around our schools and all conversations right now is just so high. And if we don't go in prayed up and armored up and just see this as an opportunity to save students' lives, um, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to get tipped. We're going to say things we regret. We're going to be like, look, I'm trying to save your child's life. Stop being a... <laughs> you know? So the first thing is, what's our prayer ministry going to be around this entire thing? If we're going to start a faculty reading group, if we're, who's going to have our prayer coverage? Who's going to have that? Who's going to be assigned to that? That's going to be your task. Um, and then you, you, you like give little, little bites to parents. Like, many of our... We went to the CEA convention. We learned about pedagogy and Jesus and sexuality. <laughs> and some of our faculty members were in a conversation about caring for our LGBT students. And 
we're beginning to think about how to do that wisely and well because so many of them are vulnerable to self-harm and suicide. Could you put that in a parent newsletter without people freaking out? I don't know. You know your context. No. <laughs> no. That's where you have to pray for wisdom, right? James says if any of you lacks wisdom, you've got to ask for it. And so a lot of our prayer life has to be around, how do we be wise about this, Lord? Because we've got students who are vulnerable. And your job isn't to make parents happy. Your job is to prepare students. Was that recorded? But you have to move. So... Where parents are coming from is that they are afraid. And so you have to name the fears. Name the fear. We know you're afraid that if we start naming these things, your children are going to start just adopting these things as reality. We want you to be clear that your children already know these words. They are already having these conversations. And if you can find some data, the Trevor Project is really good for this too. If you can find some data and say, look, this is what we're finding. This is the conversation. This is what's happening in the world. We want to prepare your children from a Christian perspective. So using the word lesbian isn't, is kind of neutral to me, but it may not be neutral in your context. So maybe you say same-sex attracted. For our same-sex attracted students, maybe that kind of calms it down a little bit. Figure out the language for your context first, all right? Your students all know, like many of them, they know the gender words, like they're up to speed on it. Parents need to just have a little calm, right? So use the word same-sex attracted. We know that between 4 and 10% of our students are same-sex attracted. We know that about 16% of them are identifying in some way as LGBTQ+. Um, at least you could say Generation Z, all right? And so we're assuming it may be less for us, but we're just going to move toward the conversation, right? Um, so name the fears that the parents have. And if you have a parent counsel and you want to go to them and just say, hey, can you help me understand? Um, where do the fears come from? What, let's just name them together. Let's just start there. Let's just name our fears around this conversation. Now let's name our hopes around the conversation. What could happen if we move toward this conversation? What could result from this? So if you have a parent meeting and you name all the fears, and then you name all the hopes and say, we're going to take this information and use it for how we engage with your student. Um, that way they know they've been heard. They're afraid they're not going to be heard. They're afraid you're selling out. They're afraid, you know, we get this all the time. <clears throat> you're a bunch of liberals. Compared to whom, I always think, like, compared to whom are, are we liberals? Um, we're just doing what the church asks. You know, Calvin's right in line with the CRC, but woo, liberal. Um, so that's a whole nother presentation. Um, <laughs> but, but that's where we need to go. And with each other, right? That's why the Colossian Forum does such good work, because it helps you to name those things in a way that's um, life-giving and within the context of faith and prayer and scripture. So it's not trying to convince anybody one way or the other. It's trying to say, how do we love each other well when we disagree, right? And how do we, help, how do we teach students how to love each other well when they disagree? Uh, that seems to be a pretty high need in our country right now. So, yes, Sharon. In the beginning, you were mentioning transgender students having pain, and you said that a couple times. Are you talking physical pain, mental pain? Mental and emotional pain, yeah. Um, particularly when their bodies start to develop and they're like, I don't want these breasts. This is really uncomfortable for me. I don't know what to do with this. I'm getting curves. You know, I'm getting pubic hair in places. I just, ugh, there's nothing about, I'm getting whisk, like, ugh. They just have this, like, ugh, to what their body is doing. And it can be really, really hard for them. Yeah. Yes? Um, in our, in our school, in everything you've been saying, I feel like there's a lot of like, well, we just need to speak like the truth into this. We need to do a biblical perspective. But if we have people disagreeing what that even is, 
how do we start those conversations? You start them with saying, our bodies matter to God. You start them, like, what was the first thing that I had on my slide today? Anybody remember? Sex is designed for marriage between a man and a woman. All right, so you start with the core beliefs. You say, this is the perspective that we're using. All right, for many of your contexts. For some of your contexts, that would maybe be a non-starter. But if you say, like, this is the perspective we're coming from, I may not always agree, but this is the perspective the institution is coming from. This is what we're going to say. And we believe that bodies matter to God. And we believe that we're supposed to care for the marginalized. So we are not going to tell, we are telling all children that they should not be having sex. Right? That's, that's, that's pretty consistent. So our sex ed is about sexual stewardship and sexual citizenship within the context of the traditional sexual ethic of the church. We want your children to understand their bodies because God gave them their bodies. Right? So it's not like we're going to make a determination about gay marriage or if we're going to have you know, gay weddings in our school chapel. That's not what we're talking about. All right? That's not what we're talking about. Um, that could come up. That's not what we're talking about. We're, we're saying our theological framework is that our bodies matter to God, that sex matters to God, and that we're going to talk about these things with your children within those big foundational structures. Some denominations don't even have agreements on those. I don't know what to do. If you're a denominationally aligned school, then you should figure that out. But if you're an independent school, then you know, you've got some flexibility there. A little bit. I don't know. Yeah, it's a mess. It's a mess. Um, any last question? Oh, I, I just want to say thank you. For oh, here. you're welcome.